0: Good morning and welcome. Good
1: morning.
0: We're going to get started with a prayer, if we can. The Lord be with you.
1: And with you.
0: Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you are the source of all that is. You are the one who created us all in your image. You bestowed us with rights. Give us courage to learn about the rights of others, to support them to fight for them, and help us to know through you our rights are equal to theirs. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So today we're talking about our relationship with El Salvador uh, through the lens of folks who have participated in this last year's trip to El Salvador. Um, And I think there are some other folks, and they may join us as we come, who have participated in trips to El Salvador before. Uh, I'm gonna show you a few pictures in a moment just to give you a little bit of a sense of the trip. But I wanted to start with this one because I think it illustrates pretty well how different this trip is than a lot of kind of trips like this, than a lot of the ways that I have seen in my life uh, churches do the mission trip model. So um, what is the traditional mission trip model? Has anybody ever been on a mission trip with their church? What does that look like? Rudy? My mission trips have always
2: been to the Multiple Indian Reservation, and they have a strong, lasting relationship with my previous church. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So trips to the Rosebud Native American Reservation. Anybody else been on a trip? Scott? You can't talk about it now because you're going to talk about it. we just give Scott a lot of space. Tyler. Uh, uh, like in we did, like, work so, so what did you do with your work project? Uh, just, like, fix up the, you know. Fixed up things in the camp and then did a vacation Bible school for kids. What other kind of mission trips do you know about, have you seen? Lately, I've been watching an ongoing mission. Uh, for the, it, it might be just their schedule, but right now there are two Latter-day Saints missionaries who walk by my office window every, every weekday um, as they make their way from somewhere on this side of Del Mar to somewhere on this side of Del Mar. I always wave at them. I keep waiting for them to come knock on my door, but I'm not really anticipating that's gonna happen. But we know that kind of mission, right? We we know the, the kind of folks that get sent out to preach their vision of what the gospel looks like to try to convert folks. Um, what other kind of mission trips do you have you heard about? Allison? Well there's health
1: missions. Yep, health missions. So I haven't
0: been able to go, but I've in gathering supplies and that's the
1: for our trips. Yep, yep.
0: Lisa. Yeah. Disaster relief. Did we send our I'm am I making that up? Did we send our youth group down after Katrina? Yeah. 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 Yep. And then, you know, been, um, oh, after the tornadoes, Joplin. Yeah. Yep. Kevin. So I grew up in
1: Canada, I yep. Hmm.
0: Is getting at what is the reality of places that have received a lot of missions, um, and how that can be a hard thing, that can be a difficulty. We, you know, we have dioceses. The diocese of Louisiana for a while had to turn itself into a missionary receiving organization uh, to help with all of the people that wanted to come clean up after Katrina, and and that impetus is not bad. But our partners at Christos Hall have asked a question, I think really intentionally, about why is it that people take trips? Why are we doing this? Why are we inviting people down? And they've come up with a different paradigm. Christosal does not invite you to come down and paint anything or build anything or dig a well. That's not part of what Christosal does. Uh, And Christosal also doesn't keep a group of North Americans, if they come down, you don't get to have your own little bus um, and your own little experience. When you come down, you're partnered. Your, your group is doubled. And the fees to go on the Cristo Sol trip pay for um, scholarships for folks that need them from Salvadoran communities. And everyone goes through a training conference together. And so we spent a lot of time um, doing what is known in Spanish as uh, unas dinamicas, dynamics, or or, um, we did a lot of workshops, a lot of activities. Um, Ellis, can you explain what's going on here? So um, you may be
2: able to uh, read at the top of this uh, piece of butcher paper. It says El Reino de Colores, which is the the kingdom of the colors. And we were given this
0: Salvadoran participants. So this gets at the way that Christosol approaches things that's different for a church-based organization. Christosol used to be a development organization um, from the Anglican Diocese of El Salvador. They used to build, with Episcopal Relief and Development, villages for folks that had been um, displaced by earthquakes or hurricanes. They used to dig wells. Um, I used to go to El Salvador with Christosol and I helped build a bridge and dig a well. And about five years ago they changed their paradigm And now, Christosal doesn't do projects like that. Uh, Christosal goes into communities and organizes with them and tries to get the people to a place where they feel confident that if they need a well, they go and petition their government. They go and petition the water utility. They work to build a structure so that that well is supported by infrastructure um, in an ongoing way and so that it's not something that was brought down from North America or Europe and, and given to the people, but something that the people work together to fight for. Um, and so we learned a lot about this human rights paradigm. Uh, we also talked about, and, and I'll talk a little bit about, um, Polly Rehos is not here yet, but uh, Polly from our congregation um, was sent by Holy Communion and the Institute of Public Health at Washington University um, as one of the presenters for the conference. And a lot of what Polly was looking at, and our particular frame this time, because this was our second trip, we did a sort of 2.0, and we were looking at ways in which human rights and public health approaches uh, could come up with different outcomes in cities um, that have similar levels of gun violence. We hear in the news, how many of you have heard a story about how violent El Salvador is, or read a story about how violent El Salvador is? The thing that is crazy is as we were getting ready for this trip last year, um, a list of the uh, 100 most violent cities in the world um, by by per capita gun deaths was released. Um, Anybody know what number San Salvador was?
3: St. Louis was first.
0: So St. Louis was not first. El Salvador was, or San Salvador was, it was 15. San Salvador was 15. No, it's all right. And know what St. Louis was? 13. So, um, you know, it's, it's an I, when people worry about going down to San Salvador, I would say, well, statistically, you're actually safer in San Salvador than you are in St. Louis. So, so let's go. Um, but it it we have two societies where our current solutions are not solving things. And so we went, and we learned together, and we talked about violence. Uh, The other thing I want to say about this community, and then I'm going to sort of do uh, a quick pass-through of our slideshow, and then an interview of our participants. This community I preached about a little bit um, in Holy Week this year. Uh, This is a community called La Selva, um, outside of the inner ring of San Salvador. And we went to La Selva, we we spent a whole day in La Selva two years ago on our trip in 2017. Between the two trips in 2018, uh, there was a a little boy um, who had severe developmental differences um, who was killed by the police. And the police um, took photos of him afterwards with a gun, uh, which everyone in the community knows that this little kid didn't have, it wouldn't have been safe for him to have access to. Um, They're they're 100% sure the police put a gun in his hands after they killed him. Uh, And it's a narrative about a child who was cared for and loved by a community who was killed by police action. And the police are telling one story and the community is telling another story. And the community is now working to sue the police department in the Salvadoran court with Cristosal's help. And so there are pretty strong resonances Um, between some of the narratives that go on in our neighborhoods and what was going on in this this neighborhood. So it's one thing that as partners with Christosal, we're trying to figure out how we might continue a relationship with Christosal, but specifically with La Selva through Christosal. Um, What could we learn together? How could we act together um, on questions that affect us both? Uh, We've got to know the leaders a little bit there because we were there two years in a row. So so this is La Selva, I want to take you on a quick Quick slideshow tour, I'm not gonna narrate every slide. Uh, But this is a workshop in La Selva. Uh, This is the food at the lake by La Selva. It's by the second biggest volcanic lake in the country, and it was really, really good fish. That's us there, more of La Selva. This is another community we went to. This is a, um, it's sort of an alternative um, program, sort of alternatives to violence program, uh, art workshop for kids built out in a rural community about an hour and a half outside of San Salvador. Unfortunately, they've been really limited in their ability to continue the program um, because anywhere people affiliated or connected to gangs might congregate, the police have really put the crackdown. And so and that includes nonprofits that are alternatives to violence. Uh, the gang members don't feel safe going there, and so the program has gotten really limited. But it was a beautiful place to come and listen to what they have done and what organizations have done. Um, we're up there. This is the chapel of the University of Central America, the UCA. This is um, the chapel that remembers to Romero and the site of the Jesuit martyrs. Um, so that's Mary uh, Haggerty, who's studying in you know, the priest, standing behind the altar, looking out at the chapel. This is the garden where the Jesuits died. That's the chapel from the other direction. There's Polly presenting on our behalf um, as part of the um, gun violence workshop that we did. Uh, that was a really cute puppy. <laughs> uh, this is another um, sort of art based intervention started by a Roman Catholic nun um, in a town called Tsuchitoto, which was really, really lovely. It actually is a very active, they've, they've been able to avoid some of the things that the other place wasn't able to. Um, beautiful convent. Kind of, yeah, so that's part of an art installation. They're capital became become a big art gallery. Uh, You'd have to ask the artist. I just thought it was really pretty. This is up in the Suchitoto. We spent some time in volcanic lakes. But you can see how big the group is when you add the Salvadoran participants. So you get a little bit of a sense of what the country looks like of some of the sites. Um, What I'd like to do is ask our participants that are here, I sort of prep them for a couple of questions. And so the first question I want to ask you all is, um, and I would extend this to anybody who's been with us. So Karen and Gretchen and anybody who wants to answer who's been with us. What expectations did you have um, going on the trip? and what? Expectations were fulfilled and what surprised you? And stand up if you talk and say your name if you would, too. Don't be shy. Scott? Well, thank
3: you for volunteering. <laughs> um, I did not have expectations this time. I didn't Say a couple of things about the mission. My mission that I used to go on was classic: go down, you build things, you 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 accomplish things. And and, and one of the things that came up, and I wasn't my idea. I think it was a question about um, the idea of what do missions do. And I think one thing that uh, Chris does is ask questions. A lot of missions you go to; they, they already have. Okay, this is what you're going to do, and it's implied that you're there to fill in. A question, or fill in an agenda, whatever you want to call it. I'm not trying to be judgmental. But Christosol goes down. You go down. You ask questions. You go down and say, "What is my relationship?" And that starts to bring you involved, not only with the community, but also with the uh, to help you bring that back. Because a lot of times, missions, at least the mission that I was on, you accomplish stuff, but what did that do when you came back? You felt good. But you also realize that, that your relationship with that trip, with that mission, is feather thin. And it's not because of you, it's because of the conditions down there. Christopher is doing something completely different. <coughs> so they are building the idea of building that community so we get involved in the community in a way that then we can not, it's not dependent upon us, but we serve there to be wit true witness. And that was another word which you would be talking about, I'm sure. Um, and then, and then, just to finish the thought, if I can, as long as i here, the one thing that uh, that cropped up in the in the in the meeting the other night was the idea of Exodus. And we, and, and you can see in these pictures, we actually are walking with these people. We're walking through them on a daily basis. So a week later, we are really with them as a group in a way that never had happened that when I was in court. never happened. That. And so, but then the idea occurred to us, uh, occurred to me the other night. You know, we're really witnessing an exodus. These people are are in exodus from our sovereignty. I mean, we're living, you know, it's sort of like you're living exodus in some ways, or at least experiencing that. And so you have a choice either, you you can walk with them, you can step over them, you can ignore them, but it's a problem. Historically a problem we helped create, obviously. But it's also a problem where we can live out our faith in a way that's so different than just being part of any kind of a build mission this is a live mission, this is a relationship mission. So the, those are the two things. I didn't ask you, answer your question, I'm so sorry. But you know me, and I don't do that. i and
0: I'll say couple things.
4: So I'm on my phone because I am representing multiple people. Um, we took along three Rockwell students as part of our group. Um, Two of them were seniors last spring, and so Colton is in grad school at, at Emory now, and Ava is with the Episcopal Service Corps in Boston, and Annie is abroad in France. So none of them are here this morning, but I have text messages from a couple of them <laughs> with some of these answers. Um, and something Ava said surprised her was the com- community that we were able to form with the other people in the class despite language barriers for some of us. said so that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about that experience. The fact that we were coming from different places, but we were all coming to the same place to share our experiences and to learn. The balance of sharing and teaching and learning and witnessing was different for all of us, of course, and I was one of the people who had the most trouble with that balance, but looking back on it, it definitely seems to me that we were all there working toward a common goal. I definitely hold that as one of the most important parts of the experience.
0: Or, Ellis, you want to weigh in? Or Gretchen, don't care. <laughs> I'll say a word about what Scott. Um, I'm going to ask him another round of questions. But Scott's question of Exodus, um, there's a particular image that comes to mind for me, which is uh, we, spent, we just drove around. We didn't get to spend a lot of time there. There's not a lot to see, but in the middle of downtown San Salvador, actually just a couple blocks from the Anglican Cathedral where we worshipped on the Feast of Pentecost, uh, there is this very famous Salvadoran statue um, and there's a cartoon on Lori's office stores just through here uh, by a famous Salvadoran cartoonist. And they showed the cartoon as part of our um, uh, as part of a, one of our workshops and it was an important cartoon because this, this statue is a super tall column and at the top is a globe, and on top of the globe is Jesus. So San Salvador means the, the savior, um, and the full name of that, um, uh, of San Salvador del Mundo, the savior of the world. So this is sort of the equivalent of the Statue of Liberty of San Salvador. It's this iconic statue that represents the identity of the city, and it's on this big plaza downtown. And it's the place at which, it's a Big, it's the big plaza at which a number of the caravans that have left El Salvador have met. Uh, folks have announced that you know at such and such a time, on such and such a day, we're all gonna gather there and we're gonna start walking up through Guatemala, up through Mexico to make our way to the US border. And so that sense of an exodus, um, to have that leaving from such an iconic place. And so the cartoon that's on Lori's door is a picture of a caravan walking away from that statue And at the back of the caravan is Jesus, and the statue is just a globe on a stick. Jesus has come off of the globe and is walking with the with the caravan. Both this image of who Christ walks with, and this sort of judgmental image, almost like it would be like if the Statue of Liberty was walking off of her post, uh, in a similar level. It's this sense of the, the country is left behind its values that these people have to. So those migrant caravans, this sense of, the other thing that I will say about Scott's piece and about how we participate in it. So Christosal, um, the biggest piece of work that they do in terms of people who are employed, a couple of years ago, Christosal got a USAID grant that more than tripled the budget of the organization at that time. And it was specifically focused on solutions to um, the migrant crisis, to folks who are being internally displaced by violence, people who are fleeing their neighborhoods because they've had death threats from gangs. So Chris All has been doing direct support uh, in helping people escape, move into safe houses, uh, but also helping those people develop their case, come before um, the court, uh, find ways to advocate for themselves and join communities. It's a, it's a community organizing based solution that is not Designed to keep people permanently dependent on a nonprofit, but is designed to help them relocate, rebuild, and become their own advocates. They just finished a couple of studies of that program, and they have shown that folks that participate in their program for internally displaced people, when they enter the program, there's something like 80% response rate that their goal is to leave the country and go to the United States to escape the violence that way. By the time they're done with the program, only about um, 17% of the folks are planning to leave the country and go to the United States. So they have data that shows that this solution works. It helps people feel safe, stay in country. But USAID has decided to remove all grant funding from all programs um, at the direction of the administration. All the grant funding for all programs in El Salvador has been removed. And so this solution that would keep people in country and, and abate the migrant crisis uh, is being entirely defunded at the moment. So uh, Cresos has been able to stretch the grant funding through January, but come January, they're gonna have to shut down a major program of the organization uh, that has you know, proven results. So we're in the midst of, you know, it, it's our government that has made that decision to no longer provide support in that way. Um, so, call your senators. Um, unfortunately, the senators don't have a lot of control. This is a totally executive decision, but, um, but call your um, representatives and vote.
2: <coughs>
0: the other question that I'd like to pose to our participants, the one that I warned them about, is what did you take home with you? What did you take home with you? And I'm gonna pick on Pat because she doesn't talk. <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know. I think that's a hard question to answer, even after reflecting on it. It was, uh, took home the witnessing of some things we read about in the news all the time. So to me, it took home a reality of what is hard sometimes to imagine or to, you know, it's always faceless people we read about. And so I took home, as Mike was talking about, I, I found just looking at that statue very moving to think, this is the spot, you know, because we've all read in the papers, oh, these caravans, these terrible caravans of rapists and killers, and here's way they congregate, they begin their journey under statue of Christ, which, um, (coughs) I I don't know, and and to um, witness the personal stories, we saw several (laughs) pictures of Mario, someone in our group that all of us talk with, and I think we're moved by his stories of uh, growing up, being in a gang, being in prison, wanting to get out of the gang, but you can't get out of the gang because then they'll kill you. And But the police think that you're still in a gang, and so you and your whole family are targets, and how you navigate you know, trying to get between that. So it was just really seeing these personal stories of people and how they're affected by the violence and by the unwelcoming of, of other places. In the world. Um, that was important to me. <coughs>
4: from students. Yeah. I, mean, I can say my own answer too, but theirs are better. Um, <laughs> uh, so both of them uh, really um, had a lot to say about the questions that they were bringing back. Um, both. The, so I texted three students, but I texted them this morning. So it's not actually Colton's fault that I, I don't have answers from him. <laughs> um, uh, so Annie said, I think one thing I really took away from the experience was about the questions to ask and how to ask them. Since I've gotten back, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the relationship between faith and responses to violence slash faith-based organizing. This was something I knew I was interested in going into this trip, but the dual nature of the trip being a seminar and pilgrimage raised a lot of questions for me and helped me see new connections and bring for overlap between the two. Something that I noticed specifically while we were there was that there was a natural tendency toward our Salvadoran group members bringing their stories to us. At the beginning, I got the impression that I was there to learn from them rather than working on these issues together and working on them from our shared and separate perspectives.
2: Uh,
4: I think it was something I I noticed us actively working to navigate. uh, However, I think that this ultimately led to very intentional conversation about in what ways realities were similar in the the two contexts and where they diverged, since we spent a significant amount of time sharing our stories to try to offer our perspectives in meaningful ways while we were part of site visits and were very present in their context. Ava said, I've taken to heart a lot of the things we learned about civil war and systemic violence which of course are deeply relevant in our own lives, and I hope I can continue to keep asking those questions about power and about who benefits from violence. The site visits too were difficult and powerful, and though both places were dealing with their own traumas and setbacks, being able to talk to the people there gave me a lot of hope about the power of community in the face of systemic violence. I was also challenged by my own assumptions about my role in the world, was profoundly disturbed by images and stories of violence and cruelty, and had some really difficult conversations that forced me to clarify to myself and others what exactly I was feeling. I also got to practice a new language, I formed deeper bonds with friends and strangers, and while while praying praying a familiar prayer in an unfamiliar language at church, got completely overcome by the knowledge that I was going to spend my whole life meeting God in new contexts and new pe- places with new people, which was exactly as comforting as it was heartbreaking. Scott,
3: um, I can't match that. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> but what I will say one thing if I can't. When I came back first time, was can, I, um, I, had to, I had doubts. I had doubts. What was this relationship going to look like? Because once again, I, I resort to, of course, my past and a diff, such a different mission. This time I came back with less doubts and a lot more hope. And and because it is a difficult, it's not even a mission, it's a difficult relationship to really categorize. And it's hard to evangelize something on like the It's easy to talk about, you know, we did this, we did this, but what do we do? What do we walk with? What? You did what? I mean, but... What happens is that I think that creates this idea of a relationship that really can be, um, in the most positive way infectious, in the most positive way can be really evangelistic. And so that's what I brought back. Um, And also with the idea of having, broadening the base with the the college students there, uh, people like Mary and these others. Um, This is something that I think that we can grow with in a way that is so profound, so different than other missions. So that's what I came back with. A lot of hope. Less doubts and a lot of hope. It's still a challenge.
0: I'd like to pitch it to the table now. Um, I'd like to have you all talk among yourselves. Here's some questions. So what about this kind of trip makes it different from other mission trips you have heard uh, from churches? What about this relationship is different from other international relationships you have heard from from faith communities? What do you make of the similarities and differences we have discussed between St. Louis and San Salvador? What questions would you bring to our two cities? And what would it mean to bring a human rights frame to St. Louis? How is asking about human rights a question of faith? So talk at your tables. I'll give you about 10 minutes, uh, solve all of it. (laughs) and then we'll come back as a big group for some questions and answers. Question, um, about you know like you can make sort of all sorts of use all sorts of adjectives about quality and 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 you can make judgments about things. I, I use the word difference on purpose because I don't want to denigrate experiences that are meaningful. Um, I've been on and I've helped lead and I've helped translate in Central America for groups that have been there to um, build walls and build bridges and and sometimes. Um, and paint, and sometimes really good relationships are built in the midst of that kind of work as well. This is about paradigm, right? So this is a a different paradigm. So that's not to devalue other experiences, it's just it's a different paradigm. Other thoughts and reflections? Brian was getting nominated at this table. So (laughs) So in our table we talked about a couple
2: Given the similarities between two cities, you might not have to travel, back to, uh, to Central America to face the same problems or to solve the same type of issues. We don't, wouldn't have to go very far to deal with the same things. We also talked about how there's
0: That's uh. That's, so if you didn't hear Shirley, there's there are programs that mirror sort of what Christosal is doing, moving people and getting people de-escalating violence in particular neighborhoods. One of the things that I was one of my take homes that I'd not thought of before Christosal, one of their departments that's not funded by the USAID grant, it's funded by donations from churches like ours and independent donors, um, is a program of. Uh, what's called direct legal action. Uh, So they have a legal department that is um, strategically litigating specific cases. So they will work and find, sort of like the ACLU does here in the States, they will work and find a specific legal case that could prove a precedent um, for defending human rights. And so they work with some specific families that have been displaced by violence took their case all the way to the Salvadoran Constitutional Court, which is the equivalent of our Supreme Court, and won, uh, it was actually just the last year, just before they came up here to talk with us about this, you can hear uh, a whole seminar on this that was done at WashU's U's Stanford Center with David uh, Morales, who's the head of that division for Cristo Salvador, but partly what they won was forcing the government of El Salvador to recognize that people are being internally displaced by violence. And part of what that recognition is about is usually those UN Accords that El Salvador has ratified and and thus they've become part of El Salvador's law and why the Constitutional Court can rule, usually those kind of definitions are only triggered in wartime. Uh, People are internally displaced, become internally displaced refugees during wars. And part of what the Constitutional Court is saying is, you have a situation right now where the violence levels are at such a level that how do we not consider this a war? St. Louis's violence levels are even higher. And so one of the questions that kept getting asked was, what is the definition of a state of active conflict, of a state of active war? And what does that mean about how we approach these situations? Uh, one of the things, that, it, it, one of the questions that gets asked regularly of these kind of trips, I heard it in the background of some of um, these comments, was, why would you spend all that money to get on a plane and go to another country when this is happening in your backyard? <coughs> one of the reasons is that you get a different perspective on what's going on in your own backyard by seeing the same things happening in a different country where a different set of assumptions and a different set of economic situations are going on. The other thing that's kind of amazing is it is um, cheaper and faster to get to San Salvador from St. Louis, and it's closer by miles, than it is to get to Seattle. So this is not like Sub-Saharan Africa and 15 hours away. Uh, it takes about, total flying time, about four hours to get to San Salvador. Um, once you're in Houston, it's, it's like less than an hour flight. So. Um, it's our backyard in some way. Lisa? You just brought up a
2: thought. So could we consider students who have felt the need to go to a different school? Could we consider them to be internally displaced
0: and that their human rights are being violated? This 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 brings up a whole you know when like when we're you know, having... Yeah, when we talk about human rights, so um and part of that and, and if you're getting interested in this, um, one of the best resources that we have about Free work right now done down at the Danford Center, when we brought Noah and David here last year, It was about a year ago this next month, Um, they did a beautiful video of the whole event that night. You can find it on the Danford Center's YouTube page. I'll put it up on our page. You can find it on our webpage as well um, if you go to the El Salvador section. But one of the things that they talk about, and and it was sort of an aha moment, there's a local activist whose name I'm not going to come up with right now. You can see her face. um, Idra. can't come up with her last name. Um, But she's working on the school to prison pipeline issues in St. Louis, uh, the discipline issues that we have in our school that uh, seem to affect particular students, especially students of color, especially economically disenfranchised students, and are moving them from what used to be a school disciplinary model to a criminal model, and kids are getting arrested at school for behavior problems and ending up in our um, justice system instead of in behavioral correction system. So they're trying to break what they call the school-to-prison pipeline. She was part of the panel that talked after and, and responded to um, Noah and David. And one of the things she was saying is, you know, in St. Louis and and in the United States, we often talk about civil rights. It's a very different thing to frame this from the question of human rights. You know, it, it puts it in this international frame. It puts it in the context of all sorts of other things that are going on in our world, and it makes us ask the questions like, do we really have our stuff together here in St. Louis or in this country, as much as we like to tell ourselves we do. Uh, or are there human rights violations going on in our schools, in our
3: streets? Uh, Scott, well, there that one very telling experience when we were leaving this town, with and there was a there was a monument. For these uh, seventeen right mm-hmm. uh, tree. Somebody asked, "What's this about?" It was about, and you might have seen it. Um, women, young women, who were right. arrested who were having abortions. not abortions, it's, 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 the the yeah, So <coughs> they were getting, in some days, uh, they just had a case that they And it was a I'm not sure her 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 herself her herself. Herself. So in El Salvador.
0: El Salvador is a is a very Catholic country, um, and it has some of the strictest abortion laws in the whole hemisphere. Uh, one of the things to know is that in Spanish, there's not a word for miscarriage. Um, the 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 word is aborto spontaneo. so it's it's that your your pregnancy was ended spontaneously. Um, but that partly gets at uh, the linguistic difference gets at a legal difference. Um, one of the stories we heard on our last trip, uh, one of, so the, the folks that accompany us aren't just random Salvadorans. They tend to be local community organizers in their community or social workers and lawyers that work with other nonprofits that are around free social. So last time we were accompanied by a women's legal advocacy group. There are several participants from a women, women's legal advocacy group that actually work with some of these women that have been arrested and incarcerated for miscarriages. Uh, and the way that they, they um, proved that these women had had an abortion or had attempted their own abortion instead of having a miscarriage uh, involved um, floating the dead infant in a bucket of water. And if the child floated, then it must have taken a breath, so it must have been uh, a miscarriage. And if it didn't, then it must have been an abortion. And that's why they ended up incarcerated. So there's a monument in Tsuchikoto to these women that have been incarcerated, and there was a woman who was just released.
2: Her doctor is the one who turned
3: her into a Yeah. And yeah. so the other, the, 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 to complete that, we were down there when this whole thing was happening around Alabama and the sort of circulating news. So there was this, this great.
2: So not, you know, it's we're not I mean what is a what are our rights, you know, what are what are what's gonna happen? I was just trying to say sort of taking off on that is your use of the term war.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it, it, there was just a piece on NPR yesterday about when is it war and when is it not, caught um, like how well I was driving. And it, it, it's something that has gotten really muddy. Um, and sometimes we talk about the war on poverty or the war on drugs or so the war on, uh, you know, we, we showed that, um, that documentary from David um, DuVernay about uh, 13th, the 13th Amendment, and how the war on drugs has caused more people to be incarcerated more people of color to be incarcerated in our country than were ever held under slavery um, right now. And there are questions about what's, what, I mean, like, what are the residences there? But that question about are we in war and what framework applies is one that seems to be more open and more problematic than it has ever been. And there are times when it can be advantageous. Because if you look at these frameworks that were developed, so, so international human rights law. Really, especially develops after the Second World War. It develops as the United Nations is developing. It, it, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt's involved in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But part of the reason this all becomes law is because we never want to go through the kind of tragedy we went through in World War II again. And a really amazing body of law was written. And the question is, how seriously do we take our commitment? How seriously do we take that commitment? Is it a part of our faith? Is it a part of how we advocate? We have gotta leave it there. Um, Next week we won't be having a forum because it's the blessing of the animals and so that people can arrive with their animals, we're taking a break from both Godly Play and the forum. Uh, The following Sunday, the 13th of October, we will be back with our stewardship committee. Uh, we'll, We'll take a walk through our budget. Um, and through uh, Holy Communion's um, asks around giving, uh, and it's an open forum for discussion about what our financial priorities are here at Holy Communion. We try to be really transparent. So that's the 13th of October. I have just a couple of copies of um, Christos uh Impact Report for 2018 and more postcards that take you to the link. It's actually a beautiful online document. Um, so these have the link. I will link that, that is linked up on our website. Um, I will post uh, between the services, I gotta do it right now, but um, Polly Rehos, who was with us, uh, wrote an incredible piece for the blog at the Public Health Institute at WashU, uh, and I really commend that to you uh, as well. And I'll, I'll put that right up on our Facebook page, um, just we're done talking. Will you all help me thank the folks who, oh, Karen, I'm gonna let you, do you have a, Grace took that picture. (laughs) Great last question. Will you help me thank the folks who represented us in El Paso. Thank you all so much. question of it.